I think is like one big benefit is if you want to think about growing your brand and you are smaller, trying to find ways to attach your name to other brands that are recognizable gives you a ton of instant credibility in the market. And so just being able to see our name next to some of these brands, it creates a perception because we don't create leads. We create engaged accounts and engaged accounts buy from us. Welcome to Top of Mind, a show where we speak with top marketers, creators, and leaders who are shaping the culture around us. I'm Stuart Hillhouse, and I believe that through great marketing, you can earn the privilege of occupying a tiny sliver of your customer's already overflowing brain. Join me today as we learn what it takes to become top of mind. As marketers, we're always looking for interesting ways to get the attention of those we seek to serve. And while the idea of starting a brand new website from scratch is really attractive, it often leads us to forget what's already working and what we've learned from past experiences. What we need to remember is that there's nothing wrong with taking a common idea or concept and putting your own twist on it. In fact, it might actually improve the success of whatever messaging you're putting out there because your audience is already familiar with that idea. My guest today knows a thing or two about trying something new while still making use of previous assets and experiences. She's the Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Lumivate and the host of Real Marketers Podcast. She's a recovering perfectionist who believes you should ship new initiatives as fast as possible and that speed is better than perfection. I'm pleased to welcome Stephanie Cox. Thanks for joining me, Stephanie. Thanks for having me today. Well, I think it's kind of a perfect way to begin the conversation with that idea that not everything needs to just be from absolute zero, starting with a blank page. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in that as well, that you need to find these prompts and previous experiences to start building from. But I kind of wanted to begin with you talking about the podcast that you host and how you've actually turned that from an old podcast into a rebranded new one, but you didn't just scrap everything and start fresh. No. So we launched our podcast back in 2018 in the fall under the idea of mobile matters. And the whole goal of it was to talk to marketing and tech leaders specifically around mobile. And we had you know over 50 episodes. It was really great. We had big brands on it, Amazon, Google, MGM Resorts, Crayola. I mean, you name it, we had them on the show. But one of the things that I realized after doing the show for over a year was while mobile is a great topic, it mobile started to become less of a channel, right? It's just where you consume content. So having a mobile strategy isn't just tied to your device. So what I realized is, you know, I need to kind of like pivot away from mobile. And then I started thinking, and this is one of these crazy ideas I have. I have a lot of them. My team is very patient with me and tolerates the fact that I'm always like, well, what if we did this? Or what if we did this? And that's where this started. (laughs) I'm kind of, as you mentioned, right? Like I like to get things done. I like to move fast. I like to iterate. I ask forgiveness, not permission. And what I was lacking personally was being able to connect with other marketers that have a similar personality. So my thought was, what if that's what we did the show about? And we called them real marketers. The real marketers are the ones who, you know, want to figure out what's going on. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. They're not afraid to tell someone like, hey, I don't know what I do, what's happening here. They move fast. They get shit done, like all of that stuff. And so we started to pivot the show into this concept. And I think what's been really cool about it 
is now like we've created this little following. <laughs> it started as a podcast concept. We just launched a community for real marketers that can connect with each other, which I'm super excited about. And it's been just a couple of weeks live and there's so many great conversations happening. And we joke and say, it's a little bit like fight club. You don't talk about it. <laughs> so you have to know someone in the group to get in. So it kind of allows you to, you know, find other people that fit this personality trait that you know in your circle and and bring them in. And then it's also started to become part of our company's brand, in all honesty, because we sell a technology that enables marketers to build apps without code. That is a very foreign idea to most marketers. They're used to going through like dev shops or an agency. And now we're saying, like, you don't need to do that anymore, which sounds crazy. But what we've realized is people that are typically early adopters have these similar personalities to what a real marketer has. Mm. So it's really started as like a podcast concept and idea and has really now shifted to becoming part of our brand, which if you would have told me that at the beginning of this year, when I had this idea initially, I would have been like, that's crazy. We're never going to do that. And yet here we are. Well, it makes sense too, because now that you've had the show up for two years, you kind of built, yeah. you built some positioning in the market because maybe at first it was very foreign just to talk about apps in general. Yes. And then now that apps are, like you were saying, mobile strategy is not a strategy anymore. It's just part of strategy to, to reposition it and say, okay, now our ideal buyer are no longer kind of technophiles. It's now the marketers that are needing to get that thing done. And they get on fast. They, there's touch different concepts, but they really actually overlap almost entirely. They do. And I think what's been interesting since we've launched kind of like this, this new season of the show under a new name and brand, the amount of people that reach out to me has like quadrupled. It's crazy. Like people that want to be on the show or that are, you know, like tell me how wonderful the episodes are and how much they've learned from it. I mean, we got that before, but we get it at a different scale now which has been really cool to see happen. And the crazy thing is, is I'm not having people on the show that are from these huge brands. Mm -hmm. I'm having people on the show that are like, have unique, compelling stories and that fit this personality. And there's a lot you can learn from them, right? Mm -hmm. One recent episode we did was someone that used to be a serious XM DJ and had 20 million daily listeners and how she used that to become a marketer and then now a CEO, right? Like that's a very interesting career path. And she talks a lot about how audio, right, is really can really influence so much and how you need to think about your voice and the music you use and all this stuff from a marketing perspective, which honestly, like I know I thought about, but not to the extent that I'm now going to think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. So. You touched on the idea that there's a lot of secondary benefits to having a podcast. And I've, I've experienced those firsthand through this show and I'm now launching a, a show for my company. And I want to hear the most unexpected benefits of having a show. Like, yes, it's a content engine. Yes. It's yeah. like a networking tool, but what else are the hidden stuff that you've noticed? I think the biggest one for us, we saw this definitely the first season was we got our name next to some of the biggest names in the world. Right. So we could have, you know, like Lumivate interviews, the guy that created progressive web apps, the technology at Google, right? Like there is no one else better to talk to on that subject than him. And so just being able to see our name next to some of these brands, it creates a perception. What a lot of people didn't realize is not a single customer was on season one. So I never had a customer on the show, but everyone makes assumptions that because I'm talking to the CMO at MGM, we must be working with MGM. 
not the case. We never said that we were. What we talked about with her had nothing to do with Formivate. Most of my episodes have literally nothing to do with our product at all. But that I think is like one big benefit is if you want to think about growing your brand and you are smaller, trying to find ways to attach your name to other brands that are recognizable gives you a ton of instant credibility in the market. So that I think is one of them. The other one I think is the, you talked about content. Yes, it creates a ton of content, but using it in the sales process, I think is one thing that I don't see a lot of, a lot of podcasters do because here's the thing. If you're talking to these experts, you know, especially for us, we market to marketers and if we're talking to marketing and tech leaders, there are things that they say that are going to be these quick little like two minute clips that could be super relevant to some, a prospect that you're talking to. And now we're not just telling them that the CEO, the CMO of MGM resorts is telling them that. Right. And I think that's just something that can be really helpful and a different way to use content than maybe just the traditional like social blog posts, eBooks that you might create from it. Yeah, that's smart. So on your podcast, Real Marketers, yeah. you love to, like you said, find the ones that are that are crazy and ready to move quickly. Yeah. And you ask them about their big crazy ideas. Can you yes. can you share some of your most recent big crazy ideas? And maybe yeah. if you're if you're comfortable sharing one that has succeeded and then one that has failed and oh, what you've learned from gosh. that. Ooh, so much so many. So <laughs> many. So one we are actually like. I'll tell you the latest one that we're kind of working on right now that I think when I said this to my team, like here's the thing that they do, which I, they're super wonderful for dealing with me on all this, but I typically am like, I have a crazy idea. And they're, they have this look of like panic and excitement all at the same time. Like, Oh dear God, what is she going to do? (laughs) And I always try and like, tell them where I want to go, which is usually someplace really crazy. And then I like back it up and tell them how we're going to get there. So I'll talk about two examples. One, this is when I started at Limivate three and a half years ago. I'd been in the role a couple months and I said, I want us to create a weekly video series that's animated, like whiteboard style. And everyone's like, you're crazy. We're, our marketing team is like two people. That's nuts. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, just imagine if we did it, right? And everyone's like, that, that's, I, I don't know how we do this. So I was like, well, we're going to do it. We're going to try and we'll see what happens. And what was crazy about that is one, we went from doing absolutely no videos <laughs> to starting with one. And then we started doing them every week. And the first, the first few were so painful, right? It took like four days to do them. Like the designer spent most of his time doing these videos yeah. and then we got faster at it. We got better at it. And we did over 85 before we said, Hey, we're kind of out of ideas. We want to try something different. Wow. And we got to the point where like people if we didn't post it, we called them whiteboard Wednesdays because why not? And if we didn't post it by a certain time, we'd get messages like, did you stop? <laughs> or like, I'd hear from Gartner analysts that they like our whiteboard Wednesday videos. And I'm like, they're just one minute videos on like simple like topics related to like educational re- related to mobile or web or digital. So that was like a really crazy idea where my team thought there's absolutely no way we're going to be able to do this. And we did, and we did it really successfully. We got it down to do it being just a couple hours a week to do the production of it. I got the whole, you know, all of our leadership team involved in doing the voiceovers. So it was a really fun initiative with that said, right? Like it could have went really poorly. Yeah. <laughs> Would have sucked if it did. And all the time we invested early on right now, we're working on one that. My team also was kind of like, where are you going with this? So you already laid out the where you want to go. And then you started saying how you're getting there and they still weren't clear on it. I mean, yeah, I think they're just like, Stephanie, this is like batshit crazy. Like, 
You want to you want to do what? So our platform is supposed to make it easy for a marketer to build an app without code. And theoretically, I love my mom. She's retired, but my mom is the person that says like, I don't know how to attach something to an email because I don't have a paperclip. And I'm like, yes, everyone has the paperclip in your email. She's like, I don't have it. I'm like, you do. So my goal is like designing a product that my mom, who is not our target audience whatsoever, but could figure out, right? Well, if I can design it for my mom to figure out, then my 14-year-old kids should be able to figure it out. So what if we do a whole video series called, it's so easy, uh, fill in the blank can build an app. And we film grandma's doing it. We film five-year-olds doing it. And we do time-lapse videos of them on our platform building an app. So when I tell my team, like, I'd like to have like a five-year-old build an app. They look at me like, what? But here's the thing. How else, how better to sell it? If we say we're easy to use, Mm. if a Mm -hmm. five-year-old can do it or my grandma or a teacher, right? All like, if we can show that all of these people can do it, clearly a marketer can do it. Right. Right. And it's just a different spin than saying like, oh, here's videos of like, marketers building apps, right? Or like, here's our founder going through it. It's like, well, yeah, no, of course, they've been building it for years. (laughs) Correct. But if we give no one direction, just give them the information like they would get if they were coming in fresh and we time-lapse video film them building an app, that's really powerful. So we'll see if that is successful or not. I don't know. I think it will be. But there are also times where you think something's going to be super successful. You launch it. And then like nothing happens. I'll give you an example of that. I had this idea to do a listener episode. We're currently in the midst of this right now, actually. So I wanted to give more marketers the opportunity to have a voice on real marketers because I can't let them all come on the show, right? Like there's no way that would work. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to start this idea of like once like every two months, I'm going to have a listener episode where I pose a question and everyone can send me recordings of their answers. And I'll create like an episode that's kind of like spliced together of like, 10 or 15 people like in their responses. Not a lot of other shows do that. Mm -hmm. So I thought that would be really cool. And people are always reaching out, asking to be on the show. So I'm like, of course they would want to do this. No, they don't (laughs) apparently, or at least they're not like, I don't know. I've gotten, it's been out for like two weeks now and I've gotten one. Like a voicemail. Is that kind of equivalent? Yeah. I was like, you can record a video. You can record audio. Like just, if you don't want to record your voice, you can just send it to me and I'll read it. But I've gotten one, which is yeah. crazy. Because I've mm-hmm. gotten more emails in the last two weeks about people wanting to be on the show than the one <laughs> response I've gotten. <laughs> but I would have told you, like, everyone would love this idea because they all want to be on the show. It's a good way for them to get, like, promote themselves. It was a super easy question, I thought, that everyone should be able to answer. And it's still waiting. So we'll, we will see if I get enough responses. Because I was planning to drop that episode, you know, around the holidays, but (laughs) perhaps not. (laughs) But I think the lesson there is you moved, you, you had previous experiences. You knew that like you're trying to get more people involved and be accessible. And rather than overthinking it and being like, oh, imagine we do a whole season based on other people submitting questions. Because that would have been a mega, that would have been a mega mistake. Mega failure. But you instead said, oh, I'll just throw it up and then get people quickly in. And so now you're able to iterate and say, well, okay, maybe we made it too hard. Or maybe the question was too hard. Or maybe people don't like to submit. Like you can, you can kind of move around, but there's, it's able to be salvaged. Even with that example of the, it's so easy, a grandma, a five-year-old could do it. Mm -hmm. Even if 
no one watches the YouTube video, you've recorded a user on your platform asking mm-hmm. questions about it. And that can just yep. get fed to your product team and say, here are all the usability issues that they had in the first 20 minutes of using it. Exactly. So those assets still work. <laughs> there's, still a lot you can, there's a lot you can learn from it, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, those are great examples, Stephanie. Yeah. Thanks for sharing those with me. A little bit more t- tactical on the idea of like what marketing and sales have in common and what they don't have in common because you're in a unique situation where your role straddles both sales and marketing. Yeah. And so before we started recording, you you passionately just told me that you think marketing qualified leads are dumb. <laughs> that is correct. I feel very Yeah, <laughs> I can rant on, on that. this all day. So I think it's a couple of things. So to get started, marketing leads back in the day and I'm talking about like the 90s, 2000s, when the internet was new and people started having websites, right? Like the idea of us creating content and white papers, right? Dating made a lot of sense. Because typically, you know, back then, if I downloaded your ebook, it's because I was likely on your website and was likely interested. But with content and how it's grown so much in the last really 15 to 20 years, I no longer go to your website because I'm interested in your product. I go because I saw something on search for a content piece I'm interested in that I want to read. Mm -hmm. So my downloading of your ebook no longer means I'm actually in your funnel. Frankly, I'm probably not even your target buyer. I'm just interested in the piece of content that you've done. But we've not changed our methodology around how we look at leads, right? So you see companies that still gate content and call them as a lead. And my big, I guess, pushback is, how many times has someone downloaded an ebook and then actually bought something? Because I've never seen it happen in my career. Like now, if they're already in the funnel, it does not count. But someone that came in from an ebook download never said, oh, by the way, I'm also looking for this platform. Do you know why? Because they would have requested a demo or they would have used your product-led growth and gotten in that way, right? So this whole idea of like marketing creates leads and then passes them over it qualifies them, which basically means they hit some arbitrary score and then gets passed over to sales for sales to go chase. I can tell you, having worked with sales reps my entire career and having managed them now, none of them want to call these leads. Why? Because these leads don't want to talk to them because yeah. they're not leads. They're just email addresses. So this whole idea of like, well, we got to create leads. It's just antiquated. And a lot of companies struggle with it because if you look at some of the leadership at organizations, you know, a lot of the CEOs and C-suite and even boards tend to be people that were, you know, back in the day when they maybe oversaw marketing or were they were closer to that, leads was how you measured marketing. Today, that's not how you should. I mean, you still can. And I tell people this all the time. If you want leads, leads are super easy to get. I can get you 10,000 leads. I mean, none of them are going to convert and buy anything. But if you just want leads, we can do that all day. Yeah. Like, right? We like, can that's, scrape LinkedIn. We're fine. Like it's gonna be fine, <laughs> right? I can run a couple of like paid ads through some different like email blasts and get you emails all day. None of them will buy anything. What you really want is like qualified opportunities. What you want are people who are actively in the buying process and want to look and talk to your rep. And that's hard. They're hard to find. There is not a LinkedIn filter that says like actively looking for this software, mm-hmm. right? Like I, it's funny because I've worked with a rep before who had an experience in government and procurement. And so there are like software out there where you go put in like, who's looking for this RF, who's an RFP out for this type of product that doesn't exist for the rest of the world. 
Mm-hmm. So you have to look at other data. And that's where I think, you know, this idea of like intent data can be really powerful, right? Intent data layered with, you know, are those people coming to your website? So are they are they surging on certain words that are related to you? Are they coming to your website? Who are the potential people and how do you start marketing to them? And then once they start engaging, that's when you, sh- you know, you pass them over to sales. But someone shouldn't just, you know, go to sales because they went to your website and did one thing. And I think that's just, it's an old school metric that a lot of people can't let go of. And even if they do like start to let go of it and start to manage, like measure marketing based on pipeline generated or pipeline influenced, they can't help but like go back. But how many, but how many leads do we get? Right. Like, right. How, I mean, just like, but can you just like write it down on a chart? <laughs> we need and it. Yeah. we need, we need the chart. And I'm like, but we didn't get any. Do you know why? Because we don't create leads, we create engaged accounts, and engaged accounts buy from us, mm. right? It's it, it's very different. Yeah. Can you rewind and talk to me a little bit more about intent data? What do you mean yeah. by that? Okay, so a lot of people think intent data will save us. It probably won't. I think it's a useful tool in the toolbox. So intent data, um, and there's a couple of different platforms out there that provide it. Bumble is one. Um, Zoom Info has their own intent data, who, which is who we use. But it basically looks across the internet and looks at what sorts of phrases that people at each company are doing. So it's matching that you were searching for a low-code platform and you happen to work at Disney, right? And it starts to bring those together. So when you have access to intent data and you typically have either keyword like keyword phrases that you typically um, mm-hmm. look at, like for us, I look at 12 different intent topics. It'll tell me who is looking at those not the person, the company. And it can tell me whether or not that's increased or decreased over the last week. And so if they're surging on something and what that typically indicates is that they are in the buying cycle or now that could be early in the buying cycle, right? Because if you think about how most people buy today, you know, they're like 70 through 70% through the process before they ever talk to you, right? They're doing all their research online mm-hmm. and they're talking to their network and intent data helps you start to see that. So as an example, if you saw, okay, Disney is, I'm just making them up because I'm a big Disney fan, is surging on low code platforms, you know, then I would start to say, okay, well, who at Disney is our target audience, right? And then how do we start now marketing to those people? Mm -hmm. Not calling them, but like doing different things, whether those are going to be targeted ads at them, getting them into some sort of automated email sequence that's highly personalized, right? And getting them to engage with that content that says, okay, not only do we believe that they're somewhere in the buying cycle, but two, they're engaging with our content and showing an interest. Mm-hmm. Now it's worth to have someone in sales call them or reach out. So it's just, it's a different, a different concept. I've seen some, some good examples of kind of that account-based marketing, but by knowing what accounts are actively looking or have been to your website. And then I've seen some people run like LinkedIn ads, yep. but the image on it is, Hey, Disney, we've got a low code solution for you. And you only target it to just Disney employees see that ad. I thought that was super clever. Yeah, we do that. And what's crazy is it's not super expensive. Mm -hmm. That's what people don't realize, right? Like on LinkedIn, you typically, it's all based on the company size. If you want to get that personalized, typically you need more than 400 people to be able to target. So if you're at a large enterprise organization, there are more than 400 marketers. You can have a like Luminate Plus insert company name ad that's highly personalized. And (laughs) what we hear from people when we do things like that is you're everywhere. I'm not everywhere. We're a scale up company, right? We don't have a huge budget, but what we do have is really big creativity. 
So when you are currently in the funnel, we appear to be everywhere you are Mm. at the same time. I love that idea of being everywhere they are, or at least feeling that way. And that kind of goes back to what the the podcast positioning offers you is you're, you're seeming bigger than you actually are. Yeah. That's very cool. I do. I don't want to lean too heavy on the software side of things though, right? Because yeah. that's just one of the tools that we can use. And mm-hmm. unless you uh, have an endless budget and endless time to... Which no one does. ...pry out all these softwares because there's a thousand versions of, of the tools you just described. Um, but I'd love to hear you kind of describe what those three pillars are. You mentioned them before we started recording here. Yeah. So I have a big pet peeve and that is with people who post their tech stack on LinkedIn as if that will save us all. It will not. And your tech stack tells me absolutely nothing about your business in all honesty, because it doesn't tell me besides the software that you use, it doesn't tell me how much you spend on it, how many people are required to run it or what your strategy is, or most importantly, what results, if any, you actually see from it. So for me, when I look at, you know, how to be really successful, especially to scale stuff, you need to have people, a strategy, and software. And you can start with two of those things, right? You can start with people and strategy first. That is what I will tell you is probably the most important. I'll give you a personal example. We wanted to do personalized video in our sales outbound efforts. This was probably, what, two and a half years ago at Limovate. And everyone thought I was crazy because I was like, we're going to record a personalized video to every prospect. And they're like, that is absolutely nuts. And we got started and we did it super hacky, <laughs> right? Like literally like we wrote the scripts like word for word, did a ton of research, had the sales guys come in on our MacBook as we're like scrolling for them as they're reading on camera. <laughs> and then we edited them and then like did screen captures with a little play button over it, uploaded them as, you know, unlisted videos in YouTube and sent out emails. There was no, I mean, there was no technology and software involved in that, mm-hmm. that you needed to purchase. And we started with 20 and we happened to send them out on a Friday afternoon. And by Monday we had meetings with four of them and they were big brands. And then we did it again, a larger group. And by then we realized, okay, we kind of have this idea, like this works. We know how much people it's going to take. We have a strategy in place to do it. Now it's time to buy software to help us become more effective. Right? So I don't have to have two people in a room to record videos. Someone can just record it on their MacBook, immediately have it go out and get sent and have all the tracking. We don't have to go to YouTube and pull stuff. And so I think that's like what a lot of people are missing is they assume like, oh, if I go buy, insert whatever the software is, I'm gonna, it's going to fix my problem. It's not going to fix your problem. It's going to create more problems if you've not thought about the people and the strategy to do it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to marketers who have purchased a piece of software and they're like, I didn't realize that you know, it's going to take someone 50% of their day to like actually make this work. And I'm like, <laughs> well, it it's not like this little like easy button that you yeah. hit and it just does, does the things for you. I mean, yeah. if it did, that would be amazing. But marketing's hard and people's behaviors change. 2020 has taught us that, right? Like what people did at the beginning of 2020 and what they do today are totally different. And you need to be constantly iterating on that. And if you don't have all three, you're likely going to be unsuccessful. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how everyone reacts. And I think all the end of end of the year compilation lists that people are going to put together are going to be like, (laughs) they've been planning these for months and months. And they're like, Oh, I don't think any of that's relevant anymore. (laughs) Never mind. I don't think we want to remember 2020. I feel like there'll be like the time in the history books where like, "Mm, 
I mean, we just skip over that here. <laughs> but not all the things because you've, you've launched a new podcast and yeah. Lumivate's about to, like you said, go to, to a free model where you're allowed to try it out. Tell me about that. Yes. I'm really excited about this. So we've been talking a lot about like this idea of product-led growth and moving from like a sales-led organization to more of a product-led organization. And let me just tell you, it is hard. <laughs> it is easier to start product-led and move to sales-led than vice versa. There's just a lot of things that have to go into it. But this whole idea was, you know, our platform's supposed to be really easy. And the best way to show you that it's easy is to get you in and let you do it yourself. So what makes more sense than allowing a marketer who wants to move fast to get in at 10 p.m. and build an app? Now, is there limited functionality? Yes, we do. We don't give you everything, right? We also host it on our domain. So if you do want to host it on your own domain, you know, you have to pay money. Or if you want more functionality, you have to upgrade to a plan, a paid plan. But otherwise, if you want to build like a content app, you can do that for free for life. Very so cool. it's very cool because if you think about it, like when do I make decisions and stuff like that or check out vendors? It's like 10 PM at night on my computer sitting on my couch, <laughs> right? Like I want to talk to someone now. I want to see it now, mm-hmm. you know, cause if you, if I wait till tomorrow, when you want to schedule a demo with me, I have another fire I'm dealing with, right? It's, it's not top of mind. It's not a priority. It was a priority at 10 PM. <laughs> Yeah. On Sunday. Yeah. And there's the buyer, the buyer preference change as well. Like where now everything is contactless on demand delivered to my door. Shouldn't SaaS be the same? Exactly. And McKinsey just came out with a really interesting report about, gosh, maybe two or three weeks ago that really talks about how B2B SaaS selling has changed since COVID-19. And it looks at data from April to just even August and how much, you know, people originally thought like remote selling would be something that you know, would likely stick around, but not that much. And now everyone's, you know, for the most part saying, you know, it's here to stay. And I would rather buy things on my own, right? Because now for right, wrong or indifferent, like people don't want to talk to other people and they don't want to touch other, shake your hand and all of those things. I think it's gonna have lots of impacts on how we market to really anyone. Mm -hmm. 100%. Well, thank you so much for that. That's been really awesome. I love the, the, Kind of came full circle, even without that planning that we (laughs) were able to cover all the bases. So make sure you go check out Stephanie's podcast, Real Marketers, and go check out Lumavate, L-U-M-A-V-A-T-E.com to try and make an app for free. Thanks so much, Stephanie. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed anything that you just heard you're gonna absolutely love what I'm about to tell you. If you go online to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button, you'll be added to an email list where I share exclusive content related to this show. This is where I'm gonna share my key takeaways from each episode, including my highlights, top of mind takeaways, and next steps that you can do to put this advice to action. I also share some real-life breakdowns of marketing campaigns that I'm seeing around and how I'm using it in my work. So head on over to stuarthillhouse.com and hit the subscribe button to get your first email. Looking forward to seeing you there.